This podcast is made possible by the Social Voice Project. I'm Kevin Farkas, founder and executive producer. Stick around to the end of the podcast to learn more about the Social Voice Project, an innovative public interest media company specializing in podcasting, oral histories, and live event recording. I'm Jean Barsotti, and you're listening to the Uncomfortable Conversation Speaker Series podcast, brought to you by the Carnegie Free Library of Beaver Falls. I am excited to bring you some community members who are working very hard on this project and helping to make better to our community. So with us today are Ann Lewis from the A Child's Place, retired DA Anthony Baroche. I had inadvertently called him detective and put him back to work. So sorry. <laughs> then we also have Detective Bonnie Sed- Sedlak. Sorry. And, and she is a detective. Thank you. <laughs> And then, as you all know, this is Sister Jeanette Busen. Then we have from Standing in the Gap, Andrea Cotton Anderson. And then Brenda Lutz, who was upstairs with the teens and talking to them about human trafficking. So from here, what we're going to do is um, they have the microphones and we're just going to have them introduce themselves, what their group is. And then I have a couple starter questions and then go from there and let you guys do a little free speak. Or if you have good things that you want to make sure get said, I'm going to let you do it. Okay. Okay, hi. Um, I, I, some of you have already met me. I'm Ann Lewis. I'm with uh, Child, a Child's Place. We're actually located right here in Beaver Falls across from Wendy's. And our place does evaluations for when there's suspected abuse of a child. Um, there is some information over there that I left if you have it in my card. I'm also a retired Allegheny County Police Sergeant and worked mostly in child abuse most of my career. Good evening. My name is Tony Burosh. Um I'm a retired district attorney. I was in the DA's office for 40 years. One of the best moves I made was hiring uh, this detective right here. So, And uh, when I retired, uh, the Good Sisters wouldn't let me uh, quit the human trafficking. So I'm still involved with that. Good evening. I'm Detective Bonnie Sedlak. I work here in the Beaver County area. Um, just a brief background. I've been in law enforcement since the year 2000. I'm fortunate. Just previous mention, I did get hired with the district attorney's office in 2013. So for the last for given five years or so. Um, my involvement with the human trafficking has become um, more prevalent and typical um, investigations across the board. Um, however, if there would be some referrals or some allegations of this nature, it would be myself that you would be talking to out of our office. Um, it's Sister Jeanette Busson. I'm a Sister of St. Joseph and in the Beaver County Anti-Human Trafficking Coalition. I'm Andrea Cottom Anderson, the president and founder of Standing in the Gap Ministries. We're an outreach that goes into the streets of Beaver Falls, and we minister to people in sex trafficking, prostitution, and who are drug addicted. Uh, we've been in existence for the past four years. Um, th- we own the old Rite Aid building. We're um, in the process of getting that building up and running. Um, we own the old Rite Aid building. Rite Aid gave us that building, so um, we're using that to make a difference in Beaver Falls. Hi, I'm Brenda Lutz. I am here as an ambassador of Hope for Shared Hope International. I have worked with youth on a volunteer basis for over 25 years, and um, a number of years ago just felt the Lord calling me into the human trafficking realm and on the preventative end. So I do a lot of speaking with youth and with teens because they are the ones on the front lines, and um, they are the ones that uh, need to know about this the most. Um, So thank you. 
Well, okay, here is one of my first questions to ask you all. Um, we know your roles in preventing human trafficking. Do we really have an issue with this in Beaver County? Are there known incidents and gangs involved? Is this part of a larger regional issue? Sounds like a law enforcement question. Okay, so um, what I will say, it's it's sounds like maybe three parts that you gave me. So addressing each individual, you might have to remind me. So the first question um, part of that was, is this a problem that we have, correct? Is right. this in this area? Yes, this is a problem that we have. This is a problem that we have in this area. We do have known incidents of human trafficking. Um, however, give you a little bit of history, um, the human trafficking um, statutes and act took place in 2000. Since 2000, we've had several um, statutory reviews and they have been revised in 2003, 2005, currently 2015 being the last. So every year that they did a revision, it has increased and um, changed some of the dynamics of that. So we are fortunate that in 2015, moving forward into 2018, the statutes um, are like a three-prong um, sort of tactic. There's prevention, protection, and then prosecution. Um, so the prosecution end I can speak of because that's the office that I work for. And um, we have had, I'm going to say since I took my position, um, several cases that were human trafficking. However, when they took place, it wasn't identified as a human trafficking case. Um, it wasn't prosecuted as a human trafficking case, and that was one of the problems that we were having in those days. Um, because it wasn't immediately identified as that, it didn't get charged correctly, and so it was handled in different manners. Um, but now moving forward um, with the new statutes, we have a better idea and a better concept, and all of the education and outreach that has gone on um, more recently has brought it to light that those cases can be identified and looked at in a better view and be handled better. With the highways and byways, um, how is that affecting everything? Um, actually, this question really opens it up is I heard there is a trafficking operation on Route 18 at the Conley Hotel or other areas by the Turnpike entrance. Is this true or is it, you know, is this where things are suspect? Right. So we have some recognized locations that have been identified as what we would consider like a risk area or a high um, visible location. However, the traffic part of that, or because we have highways and interstates and roadways that connect, I'm not going to say that that's any more of an issue than it ever was. It's still the continued same issue and same problem. Okay. And the gang part, yeah. I don't work much gang crime or, yeah. you know, gang activity, but I know that it's affiliated. I just don't know to what degree for our area and, here. Right. And it just doesn't seem you hear about gangs in this area, but knowing with the highways and byways. Right. I know it's affiliated with gang activity in that, in that kind of realm, but just from my perspective, I'm just not aware of that being prevalent. So the only thing I was going to say is I know you, you mentioned a specific location. And one of the things that I think Sister Jeanette may have said is that they do move around a lot. So you, something might be identified as a location where these things happen, but these traffic move um, their girls around on a regular basis to different locations so even if we feel like something's identified that might move to somewhere else in another at another time how are the hotels involved with you all or are the hotels involved with in anybody who wants to chime in <laughs> first place we, we developed a program where we we will go in and we'll train their personnel their people what to look for and not look for uh, I believe all the major chains without exception have signed on to the the protocol of um, human trafficking. However, it's like anything else. You're dealing with individual personalities doing individual jobs. Some hotel managers are very open 
and others you can knock and you can call a million times and you're just not going to get their their attention even though their corporate headquarters has said uh, nationally or internationally that they want to you know they're on board so to speak so to answer your question we have conducted some training at some i know i've been to a few i think ann's been to a few sisters been have we been to all of them? No. Is that because we didn't try? No. Is that because some of them just won't respond? The answer to that is yes. One of the reasons why hotels are, um, are a primary place where, um, where trafficking can happen is because of the anonymity in hotels uh, so that um, the perpetrator, I mean, the trafficker often is not even in the hotel with the individual or with the, the victim, but the victim goes in and... Um, the people coming in and out, that happens a lot in hotels. So they're very, it's a lot of anonymity to them. Andrea, I'm kind of directing this at standing in the gap because this is where you're, you're working with the, the victims or other ladies that are on the street. What are, what, are, what are some of the obstacles that they're facing? What challenges do they have in trying to come back into regular society? The majority of the people who are out on the streets who are, you know, in that position, they are drug addicted. So a lot of people look at them as not willing to give them a second chance. Um, I, I, I wanted to answer as far as the, um, when the other question was asked. I, I know from a legal standpoint, I can't talk on a legal standpoint, I can only say what we see yeah. in these streets. Is there trafficking in Beaver County? Is there trafficking in streets of Beaver Falls? Yeah, there's trafficking in streets of Beaver Falls. And I guess a lot of the girls, because of the fact of what, and I can't only say girls because there's guys out there too, um, because of the fact that majority of them are drug addicted, you see the different people on the streets and you see them and you think they're prostitutes, you know, they're all prostitutes. They just, you know, woke up one day, said I wanted to be a prostitute. Um, there's some people out on the streets, you may see prostitute and you think, oh, that's a, you know, a grown woman. It's not a grown woman. That's a child that's out on the streets, prostitute. And you don't even realize that that's, you know, somebody's child. And there are people that may have been brought here from another area who are out prostituting on the streets of Beaver Falls. And you just figure, hey, that's a 20, 30, and, and it's not. So, um... The hardest thing is because when they're out on the streets, they're addicted. So that is the hardest thing is as far as getting them from being addicted. How can, we've got some teens in the room, so what advice would you offer to them um, as to what to be alert for, what you need to, you know, how to have a conversation with your parents or just broaching this and being aware? And I'm throwing this out to the whole panel. I have a daughter who is turning 13. And the phone, social media, um, those avenues, her and I have rounds about that because I'm unfortunately a very protective mom, which I'm sure there are many of you in the room. I see the worst of the worst that we have. And she kind of grasps that concept, but for a teenager in the room, I, I do see that we have a few. Um, my first and foremost advice would be is to make good choices and smart decisions. Um, and if there's ever that feeling that you get in your stomach that something's just not right, trust your instinct. It's probably not right. Talk to somebody about it. If you feel like you should you know, run, it's, um, retreat, have another discussion with somebody, talk to a trusted adult. There, there is a million people out there that will help you and get you out of anything that you're into. Specifically me, you could call me, reach out to our office. Um, I would definitely, if I can change one life, if I can change 10 lives, that would be fantastic. To give you a little, a little bit of, uh, uh, seeing I was around so long, a little bit of institutional 
information. We have a tendency to simplify everything. We really do. There's an answer that we can give a teenager and he's gonna, that he or she is going to be able to respond to. And it's not that easy. Let me give you a little bit of history. 30 years ago, 25 years ago, if you were here, we would be talking about stranger danger. Do you remember that concept? Do you remember that? And boy, everybody hammered that in everybody's head. You know, you're looking for strangers and strangers, yeah, stay away from strangers because they're going to, the car's going to pull up and they're going to throw you in the car. And then when you actually looked at, when, when law enforcement and, and those um, uh, that have time to study those things suddenly realized that they only represented less than 3% of all missing children and that most of the children were missing because they knew the people. But, you see, that was an easy answer for us. I'll tell you what, the biggest seminar we ever had, we had 800 people show up when we had one on, on Satanism. Because don't you remember when that was the big scare? You know, the satanic cults are out to steal our kids. And, wow, we, we, you know, we, could, we couldn't even bar the door. People were just pouring in. So what we basically had was people looking for strangers with horns sticking out of their heads. And it became rarely apparent to everybody that that really wasn't the problem. The problem was people that we knew. And I think in conjunction with Bonnie was saying and, and Ann was saying is, is the people that you know, is the people that you know that you have to be careful with outside of your family. I mean, it's, it's really, it's turned on its head, but it's really true. And the person that's going to try to lure you into human trafficking is going to have horns sticking out of their heads and isn't going to be a total stranger. It's going to be somebody that's tried to befriend you and eventually has, has become your friend. Uh, and I don't want to monopolize the time, but I teach a, a one-night one course at community college, and yesterday was a proverbial sister, you know, the coming, you know, I, I had a revelation, so to speak. And I was talking about the Sarah Bain case. Does anybody know about Sarah? She was treated from the beginning as a missing person, which she was, and of course she was found dead four or five months later in Ohio. And a light went off in my head. I said, my gosh, because I have copies of the letters that she left behind. And when you read these letters, you start, you start wondering, I start wondering in my own mind and talk about not recognition at the time because nobody was looking at it that way. I'm not so sure she wasn't a victim of human trafficking because, we, you know, I wish I would have brought the letters with. They were public. We put them in the paper to have people help us, and I didn't bring them along. But anyway, it just shows you when you go back and you start looking at things, now that you have information, I think this information is certainly more relevant than stranger danger, to be honest about it, because the danger comes from people that befriend us. Well, I wanted to ask, kind of in light of what you were talking about, uh, Tony, um, what kind of education is going on in our public schools for young people? Is it targeted education toward this, toward trafficking for both males and females? Um, because I think so much has to do with, the, with previous biases, just like you were talking about. And, and like the um, sergeant was talking about, biases toward prostitution, things that you know we look at in one way and then we realize later, oh no, you know, maybe this isn't what we thought it was. So um, I'd like to know what kind of efforts are being made to educate uh, all of our youth. I'm just gonna give you, although I think Sister Jeanette may be able to speak to it also, but I know that there have been some efforts made. We have, um, we've had some meetings with um, nursing groups, um, some of the um, support staff, 
and some teachers in different Beaver County areas, but I don't know that we've actually been in the schools. Um, my understanding is that the Women's Center has an education person who has been in the schools, at least a couple, and has done some education regarding human trafficking. So that's what I know. And she's correct. We have not been able to really get in. There are a lot of school districts in Beaver County. A couple of years ago, we brought in a woman, Holly Austin Smith, who, um, who was trafficked for a short time to speak. It happened to be on the, the uh, intermediate unit day when uh, teachers were able to choose anything they want. So we had a reputable number of people come. But um, we do have a difficult time getting directly into schools. Um, my own bias is that really parents and teachers need to know about this a lot and talk with the, they're the group that talk with the, the students about it or they'll, they'll be the ones identifying the issue, but we also need to talk with the students about it. So if you have any pull, you can start asking your, your, the, the people, your principals, if um, they have thought about bringing in somebody to talk about human trafficking. I have a question about the force. One of those slides said about the way they force once they have the kids um, to keep the control is making them um, addicted intentionally to drugs one of them so that they you know because once they're addicted then they're always going to need that and they're not going to leave the person that provides it okay so I, I hope somebody else is going to address this as well but just briefly before they do that I would just like to state that in the statute the force fraud and coercion mm -hmm. does not apply to children there is no need for an element or a proof of force fraud or coercion when it comes to minors that's not even an issue. And there is no such thing as a child prostitute. It's not a thing. So kids can't be charged with that. Um, and so on the, also on that respect is that they don't need to prove anybody, um, law enforcement, prosecution, does not need to prove that they have been fraudulently or coerced into doing those acts, which is helpful. The force that we were talking about too is, um, it, it does happen with, with children. And, um, but what, what will happen is that it instills more fear into them so that the child is afraid to speak out at all. So sometimes the perpetrator never comes to justice because the child won't even speak out about it at all. Perhaps years later, they do sometimes. Yes, when you were asking about, uh, definitely, I use this example when I talk with the students that oftentimes, you know, if you want to make money, um, the, the human trafficking is oftentimes a lot more profitable than the, than the drug trafficking because they can take that same amount of money and buy that same drug and either force it onto a student or unknowingly give it to a child and get them hooked and then sell them repeatedly. And the drugs can't lie. That can be followed, but the 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 child can, the student can, and um, the way the tactics that are used by the traffickers um, are so terrifying, and they and they control them so much that that child will lie no matter what. If that child feels like, hey, you're going to go get my little sister, or you're going to go get my mom, and just like um, they were saying earlier, that these are usually people that they know and that have become friends with them, and oftentimes. Um, they feel like they're in love with them. I don't know. Uh, I don't know a junior high girl that isn't going to fall for a senior high boy who's wooing them. Um, it, all those things and all the the uh, things that you tell this the, the, your child to look out for when they feel like they're in love. Wow, they're in love. And a lot of times the traffickers now are even using um, a senior high boy is paid to woo a junior high girl. Um, and then get her to sext him uh, some pictures. And before you know it, bam, they've got them and they'll blackmail them into that. So 
they're highly skilled. This is a huge money. Um, there's huge money made in this. So they're very skilled. This is the traffickers aren't just Joe Blow on the street that thinks, you know, I'm going to make a buck. Um, when they're, they're connected and they're networked. Uh, and of course, with the use of the internet and the skills that they have there, it has just exploded all the more. Um, another thing that when I spoke with the students that my heart is so, um, I'm so passionate about reaching particularly the kids in our area, anywhere that there is a large concentration of men, you see prostitution and human trafficking going up, whether it's the Super Bowl or sporting events, something like that. Particularly right in our area, we see the, um, the plant being put in down here, the processing plant, and everywhere you drive, you see the um, gas wells going in, uh, which is great for our economy, but it, that also brings a lot of transient men into our area. And you can go on the internet and order exactly what you want and have that child delivered to your health hotel room uh, wherever you want. I guess when I hear the um, the term trafficking, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, old school, you know, kids are being kidnapped and, you know, traf trafficked to different areas and stuff. But as I'm listening to you guys, it sounds like there's a large number of kids that are just living ordinary lives at home. And um, so my, my question is, what what is the percentage and how has that industry changed? Um, so, you know, it's not kids being trafficked to other areas, but it's kids being, you know, trafficked in their homes and in their in their communities. And also um, with the transient men and stuff, you know, how is that affected? Are we seeing that in, in Beaver County? Because uh, I'm a youth pastor. I mean, we have, we have a lot of gas wells around our, our church and stuff. And um, I'm just wondering how big of a problem that, that really has been. I could say since we've been out on the streets, um, we've been out on the streets for four years time. We could see a new girl here, a new girl there, you know, periodically. Probably lately we could see anywhere from 16 to 20 girls in a month's time. And before we could see maybe two, four girls. There are girls who are coming down in their parents' cars with the, you know, the little emblem on the back. I won't say the areas, but I mean, we know the areas because their car, you know, it has the school, but they're coming down in Beaver Falls because of there are so many workers who are, I mean, we see the workers pull up, pick up girls in their, you know, in their cars. We've taken license plates of the workers picking up the girls in their cars and stuff. So they're coming down, picking up girls. Girls are coming down or they're coming down, young girls who are still in high school and stuff, coming down to get drugs in Beaver Falls, on the streets of Beaver Falls, coming down to get drugs. And we are thing is what a difference a week makes we sit and watch girls week by week and you can see you can look at them and you can tell they're more addicted than they were the last time then next thing you know they're um pulling over on the car over on in a car somewhere they're you know and these are everyone figures like i said everybody figures these girls out on the street are grown women all these girls out on the streets are not grown women just the other aspect of that i wanted to say was um we know that the situations that create um, the vulnerability of young people, the, the, the five to 6,000 workers who are gonna be brought into Beaver County, all of them from other places, um, this, we know the situations of the sporting events. Those are the things that we're trying to talk to people about because it's so important to prevent this from happening. If it happens to a girl, to a woman, her life is never the same. So. Um, the more education we can talk to people about, the more we can prevent this in Beaver County, even though we know there are situations here that, that, that are kind of like pushing it or, or ripe for it, the better we'll be as, as citizens of Beaver County. 
Okay. Um, I was just, I think I'm going back a little bit uh, to one of the other questions and, and also the current question. But um, the question was about what to tell your young people or what the young people need to know. And I know we've addressed that a bit, but one of the things um, I think is, is that if something, I think someone said this earlier, if it's too good to be true, then it, it, it's probably not, you know, it's probably not right. And you know, one of the things that I know um, I've learned from working with the coalition, I've, I've learned a lot from them, but even looking around at um, how many, we talked about like the sporting events and whatever, but look around at how many hotels have popped up. Um, and that goes along with the fact that, you know, the things that are coming in, the plant that's coming in. But I even see it all the way up through Robinson. It's amazing to me how that many hotels can you know, can maintain, get enough business to maintain, and they're just going up like crazy. Um, but one of the other things I want to say is that um, as we got to go to Geneva College on one of their days and, and speak to some students, and what is wonderful is that those students weren't like, like I know right now a lot of us are like, you know, my generation, whatever, what do you mean this happens? Is this really, because we all think this doesn't happen around here. But the young people, like these freshmen in Geneva College, they are aware, which is great. And I think our young people are becoming more aware of these things. And what I was trying to tell them is, is that, you know, if you're educated about it, then you educate your friends. And then you keep an eye out for your friends because one of the stories that Sister Jeanette talked about was where it was the girl's ex-boyfriend who ended up keeping her from going to that next step because he kind of, his, you know, red flags went off for him and he said, something's not right about this. And luckily before she was moved from one place to the other, he was able to get someone to go in and save her. So I think that's one of the things with the young people is, you know, if you see something's not right, if it's with your friend or whatever, then go to somebody and tell somebody and, and try to support your friend. And I and like I said, I was amazed at how much with the college kids, just being, you know, they're 18, 19, that they were not like, oh, this doesn't happen. Like they were pretty educated about it. I was surprised because I wasn't until I started learning more. So that was um, the couple of things I wanted to say about that. I would just add, there's, there's, always a little, there's always some confusion between trafficking and prostitution. Not all prostitution is, is as a result of trafficking. And not all trafficking is prostitution. And I th Reverend, I, I think that was basically what you were trying to ask. How do you know one from the other? Well, first place, they're all evil. So let's just get that, just put that right out on the table. What this coalition is dealing with, we're dealing with the trafficking. In other words, the industry of providing people that either don't know or have been forced to do something or be somebody or do something for somebody they normally wouldn't do or shouldn't even have to do. So I just wanted to make that clear. Not all prostitution is a result of trafficking, and not all trafficking deals with prostitution. Uh, we deal with, you know, there's the labor, you know, whether it's domestics or whether or not it's forcing somebody to work in the fields or whatever. The case may be. I've always, and Sister knows, I've always said, I don't know who came up with the term trafficking, but really what we're talking about is human slavery. That's what we're talking about. Whether it's doing a sexual act or doing uh, physical labor for not getting paid, the bottom line is simply that these people are being held as slaves. And you know, the, the layers of this is incredible. I watched 60 Minutes the, uh, a couple of weeks ago. I was actually shocked. I guess our State Department had thought that they cleared this prom fauna that still exists. In one of those little Arab countries, they do camel racing. And the ideal jockey is, is a small boy. And, and they found out they're trafficking these boys from all over the world. Because what they're looking for is somebody that's under the age of 15 
and small of stature, whatever, and they found these people, they're trafficking these people. And there's no question about it. So the layers of, of what uh, these people will get into, because as sister pointed out and Ann pointed out and, and, and Bonnie pointed out, it's money. And if, there, if, there's a, if, there, if there's a need, whether good, evil, most of the time evil, and there's money, they're going to provide it and provide the people to do it. I've recently run into an experience where someone I knew was being threatened to get trafficked. And when her father rescued her and got her away from there and got her out of the state and called back to the FBI to report the whole thing, it was pushed under the rug and said, because they didn't get her, there's nothing we can do. Even though she saw all this going on. And what I would like to know is what is the first step if you see someone that you think, oh, my goodness, it looks like they're being trafficked? Who would you call, the police? We usually say when we're talking with that, call your police department even or call the, F the um, DA's office if it's local. We always, I always say in the hotels, never approach a, a trafficker because it could be dangerous for the victim and they're just gonna take off with the, the, um, the, the victim anyway. So do those phone calls, observe um, what you observe, report. You can report, you can call your, your, uh, the, D the district attorney's office, you can also call your local police department. Okay, so a little bit that I'd like to address with that um, concern is they're in that realm of FBI, PSP, Pennsylvania State Police, um, local county level jurisdiction, um, and even your local municipalities. There are different unfortunate criterias within each of those departments that need to be met. Um, so unfortunately, in that circumstance, I mean, I can't speak for the FBI, and I, I'm no way in shape or form the guru on that. However, if that occurred, and that was the reasoning that the FBI gave, it could be because it hadn't reached that criteria. Now, as a federal statute, as a local law enforcement statute, there are some discrepancies and some differences because there are a lot of things that the FBI can't do that the local law enforcement can do and vice versa. So I'm just guessing that that may have fallen into that gap without knowing anything. Um, it could have hit one of those in-betweens just to try to address it. I mean, I'm just generally addressing it because I, I all clearly wasn't there, didn't have any of the no, allegations, didn't have any of the information. My um, main question. But just because one agency has told you, you there's nothing they can do does not mean that every agency would give you that same answer. Does 911, does that come into play too, a gentleman had asked? Uh, can you do call 911? And pretty much every municipality, every jurisdiction, every locality has a non-emergency 911 number. Mm -hmm. So if you don't feel that it reaches to a level of an emergency, like this is something that's going on right now and you visually see it and needs intervention, you might want to call the non-emergency number and just ask, who do I call, what number, those kinds of things. If we do see uh, something that maybe needs intervention immediately, what is the reaction time for trafficking? If you see trafficking, is it treated as an emergency? Is it treated as um, like triage, like what oh, we have, somebody getting hurt over here, we have to go there and watch that, or there's a road closed or wired down? or do is that a priority if you so if it's something that is immediate that you're seeing and you know that's going on like right like you saw the, the the minor and you saw the individual going into that hotel room or you know you have that information that it's needs immediate response 911 your police department would show up immediately 
If it's something that you're suspecting is going on and may need a little bit more or better of an investigation where surveillance would work um, or if follow-up would need to be done, I'm going to say that response time is going to be a little bit lower. That's probably my best answer is that if it's something that is, you know, he's grabbing a runner, hair pulling or something like that, that would be an immediate response. But if it's something that you suspect is going on that you've been seeing this kind of activity in the last week or so, it would be a little bit less of an immediate response. So who would you call? If you suspect it? Yeah. You could call any local law enforcement agency. You could call the county. You could call the 911 non-emergency. I think we yeah. just discussed. You know, so to that, I have a scenario. This, okay. this is what I've, I've seen twice. Well, it's been a couple of years, but uh, it kind of haunts me still. So we would see young girls, more girls than should be in a vehicle, like a clown car. Think of a clown car. How many people get out of the car? Being herded, escorted by older people into a building, an apartment building, whatever. Uh, first time, you know, you see it and you're not sure what you saw, right? right? And then we saw it again. We ended up flagging down a, a policeman and said, hey, there's something going on. This is what we saw. And he said, well, they have to evaluate what's going on because they don't know what it is. But that operation was so fluid that the girls were there and they were gone. And by the time they set up, you know, whether it was surveillance or someone came around to watch, that was gone. It was smoke, you know. Mm -hmm. So I, that's why I asked about how fast is response time? Or is there is there a buzzword? Is there something like, hey, this is what we saw? Like, is there certain things that give more credence no, I, to the I, There really isn't a buzzword or, or there really isn't like a um, immediate responsive kind of action in that manner. And unfortunately, that's what we had discussed, that some of the problems with our, um, with the operations and some of our problems with the identification is because Really, it is hard to identify initially, um, whether it be one individual or, like you mentioned, a clown car. And if it happens in a public area or a public building, that makes it even worse because legitimately, you can go there without having any suspicion. Um, you can go there without being approached. You can go there without having any questioning. Um, so that is a little bit more difficult. And because of the fluidity of it, it may never be tracked or it may never get um, to that point of immediate intervention. The only thing is, it puts it on the radar, I would have to say. Like, okay, so this place has been reported. Like, I, the Conley Hotel has been reported. We have several, you know, incidents or we have several reports of those things. So it does put it on the radar. Um, but for intervention, immediate, it does not hire that level of intervention. Great questions. Um, I have one other one, and that was, um, why are the victims the criminals? And that's one of the, per I think this was from upstairs, and I think that just understanding why is the um, victim considered a criminal, uh, and why are they charged in the, on the offense side? They're not criminals. They are victims. In the past, actually, probably they would have been looked at as the you know, like they were the ones who were prostituting themselves, and so they were the they were not the victims. They were, but that has flipped as as um, as Mr. B has said, because we were understanding that it is that the situation is anyone under 18 years of age is a victim, automatically a victim, and so that's an important piece to to, to understand. But the other piece of it is that um, we have to recognize also that that particular situation, um, the individual who was looked on as a, a as the criminal before, as the the one who was was causing the situation, it has to be looked at in a, in a much different way, and it is look, being looked at by. Um, police officers in a much different way too. I hate to monopolize the time, but it seems like this might be another law enforcement yeah. issue. Okay, so going back to that history that I was previously mentioning from 2000 and to what we have today. Unfortunately, early on in those days, the victims also um, were charged. Prostitution was a, a big one of those things because it was misidentified. It seemed like it was a voluntary situation. 
you know, moving forward, programs like this, outreach, education, laws, statutes, legislation, everything that has changed has moved forward and moved toward changing that, the perception of prostitution being trafficked, being looked at differently. Um, we as law enforcement are now also being trained to look at it in that light. We are moving to more of a victim-centered kind of investigation and a victim-centered kind of movement. When I mentioned it was a three-prong attempt, it's uh, prevention, it's also protection, and prosecution. And I would like to also say that not every case goes to prosecution, not because we don't want to or not because we wouldn't prosecute, it's because we are victim-centered now. So if our victim's not ready and our victim does not want to move forward, we will do what that victim wants. We talk about the victims, but also the traffickers. How do they get involved in becoming traffickers? What Do they wake up one morning and go, yep, you know, my new career is going to be human trafficking. Um, can just can any of you lend insight on like how that happens or has there been reformed traffickers that have come forward to, or am I just, it's not one of those questions that can be answered. <laughs> I honestly believe that at some point they don't, you're right. They don't wake up one day and say, I'm going to be a human trafficker. That's on my career checkbox. I think they too have found themselves in some sort of situation um, that has benefited or they have seen the benefits of that and have kind of been groomed or kind of have been, um, manipulated into a way of being initially a helper, uh, initially being like a bottom person, and then they have grown themselves into that position. I don't necessarily think that you wake up or that you've been, um, you know, turned into that without some sort of assistance and some sort of help. Um, unfortunately, like I keep mentioning the social media, that is just like the devil, because it can bring out those people that normally wouldn't have that kind of, you know, behavior or that kind of contact with somebody. And now they're exposed to it. The two things that drive the business, one is um, the, the uh, exploitation, but it's the, the money that's involved. So one of the statistics you can just not, this is a reality. Um, the language in, the, in uh, human trafficking is very, very demeaning. And so they call a group of four girls a stable, which would be uh, reminisc uh, talking about in some ways uh, animals. A girl, and this is probably a, a low number, would have to go out and make $500 a night. And if they don't make $500 a night, then it can be uh, the force and the, the beatings can happen. So if you multiply $500 a night by four, they're making um, $2,000. So multiply that by seven and multiply that by 52 weeks that we have a year. And you come up with something like almost over $700,000. So it's a very lucrative business and it's, it's very, very difficult to prosecute. As, as Bonnie has talked about. So it's pretty much um, a freebie, unfortunately, until we start talking, until we, um, we start with more education and, and being able to prosecute. But once again, it's really important what Bonnie said, that if the victim is not ready to do that, that they not be forced to do it. The girls that are coming from other towns to here, are they, are they um, you know, uh, victims? Are they being trafficked? Or is this coming uh, on their own free will? Okay, so that's a hard topic because coming up here on your free will may not necessarily be a way to describe that. Um, Backpage Pittsburgh, if you've ever heard of that, is one of the highest shopping, we'll say, um, online things that you can Google, you know, experience, and you can find just about anything that you want. It's like Amazon for that kind of person. So they come up from that location. You get on Backpage, it has girls from all over in different locations, and if you're here, they're gonna bring her to you. 
when I said we have a different approach and we have different movement. And so now what we're looking at is, and I think it may have been mentioned different ways, um, with the, the money and the revenue and the profit. So what we're targeting now to try and work with this as a whole is the demand. Um, we have supply and demand. If we can shut down that demand for those services and the demand for that type of person, where is the supply going to come? It's not going to be necessary. There's no demand for it. There isn't going to be any supply. So as a whole, we're starting to realize that concept and get educated to how we're going to attack and shut down that demand for that girl or demand for that drug or demand. Um, it, it really, truly is a business. Um, and so that's the approach that, that we're s moving into and moving forward with. Now, I was just going to say, as far as the prosecution as well, um, and, and I don't know that much about your group, but I definitely want to learn more. But um, one of the problems that we have when um, a girl wants to get off the street is it is hard sometimes to get her to come off the street, stay, you know, in a treatment or whatever she needs. So sometimes that is part of the part, like, like Bonnie said, if they're not ready to go forward on a prosecution, maybe they're not even ready to identify their trafficker, or if they are, they're not willing to, you know, go forward. And, and I think part of the problem is, is that there isn't enough necessarily treatment. And also, and we've heard this, that they come and go, like say for instance, there is a good, you know, they come off the street, there's a good treatment place, there's a good shelter for them to be at, but sometimes it's still like there's this draw and, and they, they come and go sometimes, they were saying like five, seven times before they'll really, you know, come back and be wanting to, you know, do something to change their life. And, and I think that part of it is having the, the best treatment, um, you know, and, and being able to help them to get back on a normal path of their life. And that takes a long time and it's, it's a very hard thing to do for, for the, these young people to change their lives. And they say, like I said, they come and go many times. There are really actually few what we call beds in our country for minors. There, there are more situations. Um, the ones that I know of, there's one that was recently started in Lawrence County at the crisis uh, shelter. They're new at it, but they're, they're um, addressing human trafficking. The other one you have to go to is across the state to Philadelphia. Uh, Dawn's Place, one in Baltimore, the Samaritan woman, but they're all for people who are 18 and older. If they decide not to testify or to go after these folks, how long do they have? If you are a minor and something has happened in the sexual crime realm, we'll say, um, which human trafficking would fall under, you have like 52 years now because we have the problem with kids who are abused sexually and or um, emotionally in that, and they are detached to an extent or they don't report it for a very long time. So legislation has changed that now if as a minor you have like 52 years to, to actually do something with it. Where prior to that the time frame and statute of limitations was much smaller. So I'm not going to sit here and say that like I'm like I first I'm not the guru of, you know, this human trafficking. I'm it's in its infancy stages in my opinion. We're always, you know, growing, revisiting changing the laws, um, and I still think that we're headed in the right direction. Um, and there's definitely some concerns and issues, but the outreach, the education, the awareness, I think has gotten a lot better. As you can see, the course of the conversation, I would just emphasize again, not all pimps are traffickers. Some traffickers aren't pimps. They're providing a product to a given area. And, and it's hard that when we're talking about people to treat them as a commodity, but that's what they do. Thing is, as a supply chain, as so to speak. And we have a tendency, I think, just the nature of the conversation, like you say, how do you prosecute them? Well, here's, 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 here's the problem. Prostitution is a misdemeanor, okay, for the hooker, okay, for the gal herself. Uh, the pimp, 
you, you get them up to a felony. But really, on the sentence guidelines, there isn't a whole heck of a lot. You know, you be bothered about it. That, that this legislature doesn't put a big hammer on those people. Trafficking, that's a whole different ball game when you're dealing with, with those, those men and women. And I'll tell you what, there are examples of drug dealers who are getting out of the drug business, getting into the human trafficking business. Why? Think about it. The risks are lower and the profits are higher. The risk is lower. Because you're a drug dealer, you're dealing with your customers and they could squeal on you when they, if they get arrested. Or you're dealing with your supplier who could squeal on you because he's supplying you. Or you could have other dealers trying to stick you up because you either have money or drugs. And they've, they've come to the conclusion they can make even more money and, as they call it, safer money by getting into trafficking, and that's what they're doing. And, and, and think of almost like a best example I could give so you get a real understanding what we're talking about. Think of a, 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 a sports franchise. They have so many players they have signed. And every once in a while, what do they do? They trade a player to another club in some other town. But that's, what you, that's how you got to look at this. The individual's taking this person, he treats them as a unit, and he's trading. He may even trade for another, another, another child or another person. You know, it doesn't always have to be money. And if you look at it in that light, then you see what we're talking about. Now, the penalties for trafficking are substantially greater. They really are. And like I said, though, but people, the, the drug dealers actually decided to get out of the business of doing drugs because it's too, it's too darn risky for them, and they feel the risk is less. It's, it's hard to get these people to, even when you bust them, so to speak, Try getting one of these children to testify against them. Now, you're talking about climbing a mountain. Uh, these two ladies can attest to it better than I can. They, they were out in the street. They made those arrests. They're making those arrests. And they'll be the first to tell you. you know, or they'll start off with you, helping you. And then after a certain point, oh, he's going to go to jail kind of syndrome comes in. And then all of a sudden, you know, they don't remember or they don't want anything to do with it or they don't want to help you. They don't want to go home. You know, once you find out where they're really from, I think Sister can tell you a little bit about the one case that we had that gal from Chippewa. We had all those problems. In the end, she, you know, she didn't want to do all like them a lot. And, it, we, you know, Sister managed to get her a place to stay, get support, get education. But tell them what happened in the end. You're in a better position than Yes, and in the end, uh, someone who continued to follow her, who was a friend, of, kind of befriended her and, she wanted nothing to do with any help at all, and she was living with a, a guy and most probably was being trafficked in some ways in that situation too. So you just really have to wait until people are ready. And that bond, that trauma bond that is formed with the perpetrator, with the, the trafficker is so strong that they can get out of the situation and will do nothing. Uh, there was a woman who I heard speak, um, and she had been trafficked from Seattle to San Francisco, in five-star hotels and eventually got out of it. She's talking against trafficking now and she still had not identified her perpetrator because of that trauma bond, not just fear, but also there's that love angle too that still continues to happen. I actually, yes, I, um, this book is called Renting Lacey. It's written by um, Linda Smith and she is the woman that started Shared Hope International. It is an excellent read for anybody that wants to see the plight of our American children and what's happening to them and how the trafficking works. But there was a poem in here that I, she wrote that I wanted to read for you. And it's called, When I Grow Up. I feel like I need to stand to read it. 
It says, when I grow up, I want to be a prostitute. I want to be used by men however they wish. And I'll say, oh, baby, yes, I love it. I love everything about you. And I'll hold back my vomit, and I'll keep my smile on my face to convince them so that they'll stop slapping me. But because I love it, because I love the taste of everything that they do, they'll say that I'm a slut and a dirty little girl that needs to be punished. They'll burn cigarettes into my skin, jab me any place they like, bloody my nose, blacken my eyes, hold a gun to my head, cut me, tap to me, and their eyes will just grow larger with excitement. And I'll scream and I'll cry and I'll beg because I just can't act anymore. I don't want to be riding a pink bicycle with a pretty little basket in the front. I hate the little girls who are held tightly by their daddy's hands as their daddy looks at me with disgust and covers their daughter's eyes. I don't want to be one of those girls with a decorated bedroom with frilly pillows on my bed. I don't want to be giggly and get to talk with a friend about whether or not a boy likes me. I don't want to decide for myself whether to wait for marriage to have sex and remain a virgin. When I grow up, I don't want to attend college, decide whether or not I want to join a sorority or have my own apartment. I don't want to try different career paths to try and figure out who I am. I don't wish for a wedding in a church someday or on the beach with bridesmaids and my dad walking me down the aisle with little flower petals underneath my feet. Who cares about baby showers and a nursery to decorate? I don't want to learn how to cook or decide whether to be a stay-at-home mom or working mom. I don't want any of those things because when I grow up, I want to be a prostitute. Can anyone believe that? That's the plight of these children. About a year ago, I had the opportunity to be at a symposium on human trafficking within the state of Pennsylvania, and most of it was on the legal side of it. But the one case that they talked about, this pimp had five underage girls. And when they finally got to the point where they could prosecute them, and because of changes in laws, he could be prosecuted as a human trafficker and not just as a pimp, um, which resulted in a lot more time in jail for him. But one of his girls actually went and testified on his behalf. Why? Because they tell them that they love them. And these kids are so starved for love. You parents in here, you care about your kids, but we deal with a lot of kids that nobody really cares about. And they don't have somebody to go home to. The average time for a kid to be on the street is less than 48 hours before they're trafficked. As they said, this trafficking is huge money. They know what they're doing. So. Yes, it's hard to understand that they would listen and, and that they would go back. But when you look into their world, and I really think this book really gives you a good view of that, it helps you to understand and, and see in their minds, they're so starved for love. They're so, so starved for somebody to want them that they'll go through anything to do it. So thank you. Thank you very much for that. Yeah. Okay, well, we are rounding at the end of our hour here, and it's been a very good conversation. Would you all please give them a round of applause? Thank you so much for your time and coming down to speak with us. Um, next steps are that there is some brochures and some materials over here. Also, um, thank you for the lead-in for Renting Lacey. We do have that book here at the library. We have uh, some resources that you can use, read here, check out. 
We hope that you will go forward and conversate with your friends, your family, your neighbors, and keep an eye out. And thank you, everybody, so much for coming and joining us this evening. If you like what you heard, be sure to like, rate, and review us on your favorite podcasting app. This is Kevin Farkas here again. You've just heard a podcast produced by The Social Voice Project. We specialize in podcasting and other creative media partnerships with community-oriented organizations and individuals. We are dedicated to promoting a wide range of nonprofits, community and cultural projects, public history initiatives, the performing arts, and tourism. To learn more about us, visit thesocialvoiceproject.org.